people actually think it's a super important metric to track, like how many people or what is the percentage of people that bounce from their website. To explain what bounce rate is, it's when someone lands on your website or your landing page and doesn't take any action, like they don't click on a button, they don't visit different pages, they don't make a purchase, they don't do anything and they leave. And this is considered a bounce. However, when you're running traffic to landing pages that have a single goal of making a purchase, filling out a form or something like this, bounce rate doesn't take into consideration the time that you spent on the page. This is the Customer Acquisition Show, the podcast that helps you turn complete strangers into repeat customers and grow your business. Hello and welcome to the Customer Acquisition Show. I am your host, Tom Meredith, the VP of Marketing here at Tier 11. Today, I'm joined by our dynamic duo of conversion architecture, Maria DeBreva and Lynn Swayze. Welcome back. Thanks for having us again, Tom. Very excited to be here. Yeah, you guys are uh, quite the recurring guests. Two of our geniuses on the team who are always so helpful on these calls. Glad to hear so. So today we're going to get a bit more specific on one of the things that we've really been working on and hearing a lot from our customers and one of the directions we're taking the marketing right now. And that is getting into how people are wasting their PPC spend, both on Google ads, mainly in Google ads, but also on Bing and other PPC channels. And one of the things that we came across when we were really diving into how we help optimize that PPC spend is through our conversion architecture. I guess I'll leave it over to you, Maria, to explain what conversion architecture is here at Tier 11. Of course. So conversion architecture is our after-the-click department. Everything that happens after someone clicks on an ad and the places that we lead them to, whether this is a landing page, an online store, a website, or a funnel, this is what we take care of. We design the entire customer journey from this moment onwards. We take care of the landing pages, of the conversion rate optimization of the email campaigns and everything that follows this customer journey. So that really sounds like a lot more complicated than just buying ads. Well, to me, buying ads seems a lot more complicated. I guess it's from a point of perspective of what you're experienced with and where you're more comfortable because running ads sounds so much more complicated to me. (laughs) Yeah, I think when you get into the nitty gritty of buying ads, that's definitely the case. I think from kind of a higher level, when I think about it with the tier 11 marketing, buying ads is just two words. You just mentioned landing page, CRO, offer, (laughs) email. That sounds like a lot more work, but I hear your point. Yeah, I guess so. Well, I've learned so much more since I joined tier 11 running advertising, but even after so much information, all of these other things that I mentioned still seem more like in my zone of comfort because there is some sort of logic behind everything that we do. So it's not like pure guessing. I know that advertising is also not pure guessing, (laughs) but to me, for someone who's not an expert on this side of the marketing world, it seems so much more complicated. So I'm appreciating the efforts of our team. Quite often of people thinking that this is something super complicated And it is when you don't know what you're doing and you don't have someone to rely on to guide you through this journey. But at the same time, so much necessary, as much as it is to run ads to your business. Because that's the perception of many businesses that if you're running ads to something, 
people are just going to convert because you have an amazing offer or something like that. But it's not that simple, or at least it's not that simple anymore. And the thought of this is so complicated. Yes, it might be when you don't know what you're doing, but if you have someone to guide you or you have someone who knows what they're doing and does it for you, it makes so much more sense and it's so much easier. You agree? Yeah. And I don't even think it has to start complicated. You're a very big proponent of the human element. We're all humans, except for ChatGPT and all that algorithms within marketing, right? So my perspective, like the very basic level is as the marketer, just go through your own website as what a customer would be like and just identify pain points. That'd be how I would approach it from the simplest level. Mm -hmm. Yes, I absolutely agree. And we've talked about this in the past together that the human element is so much more important than just numbers and statistics and tests, etc. But what I found is that people, it's very difficult for them to be objective about their own websites and their own funnels. So it's a lot more difficult for them to take a look and see the big picture and identify issues themselves. So what people can actually do is run a test with a friend, family, ideally someone who's part of your target audience. If you don't have contacts with anyone like this, you can just have a friend and show them your website or show them your funnel for 15 seconds, 15 seconds, that's it. And then ask them, what did they learn? What is it that I do? What is the offer? What did you find out? If they cannot tell you the basics of what is it, how much it costs, or what does it do? What is the problem that it solves? No matter if you're a service-based business or a product-based business, then it's very likely that you have a problem with your funnel because 15 seconds might seem like very little time, but it's actually so much time because people's attention span nowadays is so short that 15 seconds should be enough for them to skim through your entire content and understand all of the basics of your offer. So this is the simplest thing that you can do to see if you have a problem because just 15 seconds, that's all. Yeah, I remember when I was doing a lot of ads, like editing and design work, it was very much, will my mom understand this? And can she read at this pace? There's a tendency, when at least doing captions, back in the day before CapCut and all these things that paced along, it was very much, a lot of times captions would go on too fast. And it's like, I don't think my mom could read at this speed. And I think that's the number one tool as a marketer is ask your mom to check out your work. That's a very good point because another thing I've noticed is that business owners tend to think that there's only speaking to people exactly like them, people who are super familiar with what they do, who are experts in the same field. Whereas in most cases, that's not actually the case because they might say, oh, well, I don't actually need everyone to know what I'm doing or to understand what I'm doing because people in my field understand it. I'm going to use these complicated words and this complicated messaging that nobody knows really what it means because it sounds very professional. I mean, it's not really the best thing to do for your business. All right. So getting a little bit more like into the connection between ads and landing pages, as somebody on the landing page side, what are some of the things that you look for as identifiers that maybe there's a broken connection customer between the ad and the landing page? Is it a metric on the ad side or is it a metric on the landing page side? What are those and how do they measure them? Yeah. So the first thing that I actually do when I'm reviewing a new client prospect or just a new business that I've never seen before, the very first thing I do is to check the ad to landing page congruency. Whatever type of advertising you're running, I'm going to take a look at the creatives. I'm going to take a look at the copy 
And then immediately afterwards, I'm going to see where these ads are leading me to. If these two things are not matching, this means that there is a problem between this connection. To give you a specific example, let's say that you have a product-based business, you have an e-com business, and you have a product that solves multiple issues. So you're running advertising for a very specific issue that you have because you're getting lower cost per click, you're getting good results from it, but then you're sending them to a pretty generic landing page that has all of the problems that your product is solving. So I don't know how specific to get in the example, but you have one issue and then you're sending them to 10. So what this person would think is, oh, okay, I saw an ad for this super specific problem that I have and I clicked on it, but then I landed on a page that had nothing to do with my specific problem. So I just left and you lose them, which is not good. So it sounds like the key there is to make sure your landing page is talking about the solution to the problem your ad created. Yeah. And if you want to target multiple different issues, because this is a great strategy to target these specific issues that people have. I'm not saying be generic, be specific, but then have separate landing pages for these specific issues. All you have to do is like create a duplicate of them and change the messaging at the very top of it. You can even keep the same landing page. Everything else could be exactly as it was. But if your main banner is congruent with your app problem, then you have a much higher chance of these people actually converting and buying from you. So do you typically go the direction of adjust the landing page to the ad? Or do you suggest diving into your landing page and telling the ad creation team to change what they're doing? That's a great question, but it really depends on the specific situation. For example, if you're doing something from scratch, then it's much more likely to base the creatives and the ads on the funnel. But if you're working on something that has already been proven and has worked in the, in the past and we already have some sort of performance with the ads, we would try to do it the other way around. And we're going to see what are the best performing ads, what are the messaging that they're using so we can create this connection with the landing page. So it's always this cycle of what works on the landing page, put that over into the ads, what works in the ads, add that to the landing page. Kind of, yeah. We can say it like that. All right. So the first thing you're looking at is what we might call like ad scent or ad congruency. Like is your ad in your landing page speaking to the same person for the same problem, basically? What would another thing that you would look for? Well, another thing that I would look for is when I'm already on the landing page, I would check how the user experience is. So because with the social media platforms that you're usually running traffic to, they're very well optimized already. So people are getting from a very good experience in terms of like user experience. And then when they hop on your funnel or website, they need to experience the same type of level of good experience. So whether this be your layouts, how smoothly your content is flowing, is it easy to understand? And all of these things are still making a connection and they're making an impact on your performance. Because if people leave because of something like this, this would mean higher cost per acquisition for you and for your advertising efforts, which is easily avoidable if you put this effort into what happens after they click. Okay. So you talked about like higher customer acquisition costs if their landing page isn't doing a great job. Going back to the previous example of ad congruency, if there's a high click-through rate, but a low conversion rate, is that like a sign there that your ads and your landing page aren't connected? 
this is a good indicator in which you can find this. I'm not usually using the numbers to check this. As I said, my process is more of like, does this make sense? But I'm coming as an outside person who is seeing this thing for the very first time. So for business owners, it could be easier to see those or for marketers or for whoever is doing these analysis. This would be a good indicator. If you have high click-through rates, but low conversion rates, then there might be a problem or a lack of connection between the two. Another thing that I wanted to share with you was, again, related to this add to landing page congruency, but a different type of scenario. So for example, if you have a problem, one problem on the ad and another one on the landing page or a very generic landing page, another situation where you could have this is if you are targeting people in the different awareness stages. So let's say that you are targeting people who are problem aware with your ads. They know that they have a problem, but they're not yet searching for a solution for it, or they're not aware what kind of solutions they, you have. So you're having this great ad that it's giving them some information about this problem. They know that they have it, but you're not really providing any specific solution. What will make sense is when you click on this ad and you send them to this new journey that they're starting, it would make more sense to give them more education about this topic specifically. But instead, what many businesses are doing are taking them directly to purchase a product. And this is like you're jumping an entire phase of their journey. So from problem aware, you're sending them directly to solution aware with no bridge in between. So they're once again, very much likely to leave. Yeah, I think that's one of the biggest things that brands make. I mean, it's something that even us at Tier 11 have been pretty guilty of on the marketing side of like thinking that people know us and taking them straight to a form fill and part of the effort. And this is an example of what we're doing. Like, so we've been talking a lot about how people can identify if they're wasting their PPC spend. So that'd be an awareness level, like problem aware, making them problem aware. And this is getting into that more consideration phase, solution aware, where we're talking about, well, now that you know that you have a problem and that you're wasting your PPC spend, here's one potential solution for increasing your efficiency with PPC, and that's by working on the landing page. Exactly. Yeah, that's a very good explanation of it. Yeah. All right, we have a question from Anthony. How often are you A-B testing ads or landers? Let me pop that up here. How often are you A-B testing ads or landers? So at Tier 11, it usually depends on how much traffic people are receiving on their landing pages, but we typically try to do at least two split tests per month, which means we're doing one week of testing, then we're doing one week of analysis, we're gathering all of the data that we've gathered and we're creating new hypotheses on what kind of things that we can test. We determine the results from the split test that we were running the previous week, and then we create a new hypothesis for the test next week. So testing, analysis, testing, analysis, and then you have like a full month. So you're talking in terms of time, but every time I ask you about the tier 11 stuff, like how long until you didn't say it's not time, it's amount of visitors. What's a good number of visitors to use as like the actual length you should be testing? Yeah, that was my first point because this is typically the clients that we work with. They are reaching these numbers pretty quickly, but a good indicator would also be 500 unique visitors per variation. So I would not recommend stopping your split tests before you've reached this number. So as soon as you have 500 unique visitors per variation, which means at least 1,000 per test, your results are not really significant. Like you cannot rely on this data that is going to be completely significant and that you can 
take information out of it. Yeah. So 500 unique visitors for each variation that you do. Otherwise, it's still like finger in the air to see which way the wind's blowing. Of course, I want to say that it shouldn't be taken as a complete rule without being able to break it because on some occasions, for example, when we are working with clients that are only running Google Ads, this number for us is a lot lower because typically the clicks, or at least for some businesses that we work with, the clicks on Google are much more expensive than those on Facebook. So we have to make decisions quicker and we cannot afford to run tests that we see are not performing that good because we are wasting traffic. So sometimes we need to make a decision sooner because it's not efficient for the client to keep on running it. So this is not like the ultimate rule. It's more of a guidance that you can follow. It's not one of Maria's commandments. <laughs> yeah, it's not one of the commandments. It's a good thing to follow, it, especially if you're just starting with running conversion rate optimization. If let's say you're a marketer and you're doing it for clients, it's a good rule to follow. Just not in every single situation ever. <laughs> I'm just imagining an amazing lead magnet right now, like downloading Maria's 10 conversion architecture commandments. Well, that's a good one. Yeah, we should make that. That's a really good one. <laughs> I'll let you ponder on what some of those other ones are. So if we're viewing the cost of acquiring a customer as basically your PPC ad spend, your Google ad spend, you can increase the return on that by first turning them into a customer, but then increasing their lifetime value. How do you increase the lifetime value through conversion architecture? Okay, that's a great question. So where a great user experience and even your backend of your business comes in. So let's say that you have great ads and you have a great funnel that's able to convert or maybe not so great, but at least it's selling. And then your experience afterwards, like your emails, let's say, or your offers that come afterwards are not up to the same standard as it is your front-end funnel. This makes people a lot less likely to convert and to be a repeat customer. So if you pay attention to those little things like the way you're communicating with your current customers, how often do you even send them newsletters or any email campaigns? What kind of offers do you suggest? Are you too salesy afterwards? Are you just leaving them and never contacting them again? These are all factors that could affect your customer lifetime value. And it's a lot more expensive to acquire a customer than to keep one. So using conversion architecture, using UX practices, and basically paying attention to what your customers needs would likely increase this lifetime value. Yeah, I think that's a pretty important point to remember. Like it costs a lot more to acquire a customer than to get that customer to come back over and over again. So there should be a def definitely a lot of effort going into the later stages in the funnel, like emails that you're talking about, promos, whatever it takes to get somebody, even like retargeting ads, that's still quite a bit cheaper than those cold traffic ones. It is. Most businesses are focused on just the first part, acquiring customers. This is where all the marketing efforts, all the marketing strategy and everything is going into. And then how you keep them or do you keep them? What happens afterwards is not really in question. You got the sale and that's it. And now you need a new one. And this is not really the smartest thing to do. Yeah, and I think this gets into one of your, oh, I presume was one of your favorite topics of customer experience. The second commandment? Yeah. <laughs> the second commandment is customer experience. And we're all customers of stuff. 
So it's important, again, to view your whole journey as a customer and make sure that you are providing a good customer experience. How do you look at things through that lens when you're working with clients? Well, this is a topic that we've discussed, but I'm going to repeat it again because it's important. So we're mostly talking about conversion rate optimization, which is CRO. This is even what clients come to us for. They're looking for ways to increase their sales. And there's another very important thing, which is called UXO, which is user experience optimization. The way we're approaching projects at Tier 11 is to combine those two things and, and connect them connect them together. We're conversion rate optimization with user experience optimization at the same time. Because what CRO does is takes the business objectives, takes the goals of the business owner and makes them into reality. And then what user experience optimization does is takes the same objectives and the same needs and desires, but of the customer and makes them a reality. So if you target both at the same time, you get happy businesses and happy customers. So this is a very important thing for me to have this human factor and to take always into consideration what are the customer needs, not only the business needs. This is not the only thing that we need to focus on. And it is really comes down to like delighting your customers. And part of that's the web page. I mean, we'd had this example a couple of weeks back with Rachel. She was talking about one of our pet clients and this pet client, they used to put these little dog treats in every package they shipped. And then they stopped doing that. And the amount of backlash they got for the simple thing of removing dog treats from the packages really affected their customer experience. And I know it's not something we advise on as part of conversion architecture, like what to put in your shipment to make happy customers, but it is something to think about when you are building out this whole customer journey. Yeah, it is actually part of the user experience optimization. It just goes a little bit beyond your funnel or your website. But yeah, that's exactly the same type of thing. And if they were never doing that in the beginning, no one would ever complain, I didn't get a free treat in my box. No one would ever say that, but because they already got to this level of expectation with their customers, now they're kind of letting them down, which is not a good thing to... I guess to Anthony's earlier question, it was a great A-B test. Now they should go back to A. Because I, I imagine they probably weren't getting a whole lot of feedback from their customers about the treats in the beginning. If your customers aren't talking to you about something that you're doing, you might assume that it's not working. But in this case, it is working. And they found out through this A-B test of not sending these treats that they were really effective. Yes. I just thought of a completely different metaphor, but... <laughs> It's connected, I promise. When you see a very good-looking woman and then you cannot remember what she was wearing, then she was immaculately dressed and she was very well-dressed. And it's kind of the same thing with the user experience. You don't really know on a conscious level what are the things that are giving you this positive impact and this positive experience. But when they're taken away you sort of think of like, oh, this was actually that I really enjoyed. I like these treats. I miss them. People probably never thought about them as soon as they opened their box or some of them might even never use them, but they're just expecting them to be there. I think this leads into Maria's third commandment, which I'll help on because I have experience with this as well. And that is you're doing a good job with your landing page if people don't notice they're on a landing page. Thinking back to when I was video editing, a lot of stuff here. You never recognize good video editing, really. It's only the really bad video editing that you recognize. Absolutely. Good user experience and good conversion rates 
conversion rate optimizations are invisible. These are things that should not impact significantly the way that people perceive you. They just need to be there. And if you're not noticing them, this is a great sign. That's a very good point. Yeah. Okay. Let's see what else you have on your list here. One of the things you said to keep an eye out for would be like negative word of mouth and how your user experience can drive that. So people are a lot more likely to share a negative experience rather than they are to share a positive experience. This is just the way we are wired. Not everyone, of course, but the majority of people would probably be much more frustrated from a negative experience rather than they would be satisfied from a positive experience. So these negative experiences leave much more significant impact on you. If you have a bad user experience or something in your customer journey happened that affected your customers negatively, they are a lot more likely to share with a friend, to share online, to write a review for you, to write on your Facebook page, to write comments on your social media posts and everywhere, depending on how frustrated this customer is. For example, one thing that I've seen in the past is when you have funnels and you're running one-click offer. So this is when you have a main offer that people enter their credit card details to purchase. And then on the next step of their funnel, they have a one-click upsell. What this means is that people only with the click of a button, they're getting charged on their card without having to enter their credit card details again. What I've seen as a very shady practice of businesses is to not notify people of this interaction that's going to happen. So let's say that they get on this page and they see the button and they want to learn more. But what they're actually doing is they're making a purchase. What would this person feel like, especially this is like a product for $1,000, which is a very frequent price for upsells. They're going to be like, give me back my money. I want a refund. This is not ethical. How could you do this? Why didn't you let me know? And all of these things. So this is affecting your brand and your business negatively. And it's not something that you would want to be part of. So be clear, be explicit, give the best experience possible. Do not make shady business practices and marketing strategies and all of these things because it has a long-term impact even though you might not think so yeah and i would say even on the team that's running these it affects them as well that was one of the driving factors for creating tier 11 is a lot of places we came from did deal with these kind of shady offers that's kind of why ralph came with this idea of like helping purpose-driven brands achieve their vision it really takes away a lot of these people who are just in it trying to squeeze out money in deceptive ways yeah and it's actually something that might have been working in the past and might even still be working because in many cases people might not even realize that they've been charged until they see it on their card or something like that so they might never even ask for a refund especially if the sum is not that high it's even more unethical to do. Luckily, I haven't seen this as often nowadays, maybe a few years ago, yes, but now it's not as easy to go with these type of practices. Although this idea makes me think of like a black hat thing of like, what if you were running ads to a fake website for a competitor that was a really bad user experience? You retarget them with your own like amazing user experience, but we would never do anything like that. Yeah, this is still on the very unethical side, but it might be, don't give bad ideas to people that are actually pretty good. Yeah, but all right, see, so yeah, Anthony has another 
statement here, which is really talking about the customer journey even further. He says when he's looking at reviews for anything that he's looking to buy, if a brand isn't replying to customers, it really impacts his decision, whether it's a good or bad reply. Oh, yes. Me as a customer, personally, I do this too. If I'm making especially a big investment or I want to work with someone, I always check the Google reviews. This is something that I always do. And I see if there's a response from the owners. And especially on the negative ones, if the response is something completely putting the blame on the customer or not even apologizing, let's say that someone is complaining in a restaurant that they were not served for two hours and nobody came to take their order for one hour and they had to spend like five hours. And this is something that happened to me last week. That's why I'm mentioning it. And then the owners responded to this negative review with, I'm sorry this happened to you. We were very busy or something like that. It's kind of an apology, but it seems like, okay, I might not go to this restaurant because this owner is not taking accountability for the things that they're doing. So this might happen to me as well. So this is a completely different example from the typical marketing reviews that or the type of businesses that we work with. But still, like even if someone has a negative experience, you need to take this into account. And if there is something that you can do about it, you need to do something about it, even if it's a little thing. If someone says you have a typo on your page, you need to go and fix it and not say nothing or just ignore it. Simple things. Well, if you think about it, even just like a customer psychology thing, it's really about building trust. And that trust in that if I buy this product, I can understand how you're going to respond if something goes wrong. Trust that I'm going to be taken care of as a customer. And I think it is really important for brands to be people and to engage in an authentic way and not just have copy-paste responses to stuff. One thing I can talk about is when is it a good time to do conversion rate optimization or user experience optimization. And the right time is not when you've tried everything else and it doesn't work. Because this is something that many businesses do as a last resort and a last effort after they've tried everything else. They've run different strategies, they've run different ads, they've increased their budgets, they've changed the type of platforms they're using for ads, but they're all sending them to pages that are not converting. And finally, as a last resort, they're going to try and improve their conversion rates. And if this doesn't work, then it means that their business is not working and they're going to fail, etc. And it shouldn't be like this. You need to run conversion rate optimization, even tiny little things as the smallest optimizations possible, like headline changes or call to action changes or something like that, from the moment you start running ads. As soon as you're running ads, you need to be doing conversion rate optimization and not after months of trying of trial and error and running ads to non-converting funnels. As soon as you have ads, you need to be doing conversion rate optimization. Yeah, I agree. I'm of the opinion that your website is your most important marketing asset. It's the thing that you own, the thing you can control, and it should always be up to date. And that includes these landing pages. Those are your most important way to connect with the customer because whether they come through an ad or through searching, they're going to be clicking around your website. And so every page that they land on should be driving them to the action you want while providing a good customer experience. Absolutely. So we talked about negative brand perception, like badly optimized or out of date websites. Yes. This is another thing that I see 
frequently, which is even for the people who are not running ads and are relying solely on referrals or on word of mouth or on any other, or let's say they're doing their marketing live on events, they're networking or anything like this. So this advice is for everyone, not just for the people who are running ads. You need to have up-to-date user experiences. If your website hasn't been updated since 2008, it's time. It's absolutely time. Old looking, I mean, you know what I mean. I don't mean something not beautiful. I mean the websites that were built 10, 15 years ago. If your website still looks like this, people might even think that you're out of business and that you're no longer in business because your website is so old that you're wondering if this business is still alive. Should you even contact them? Especially if you found them These type of websites have really good SEO because they've been running for so long and they're pretty well optimized and they might even pop up on Google organically on the first page. And then you go to it and you're wondering, oh, okay, so this is not really what I was looking for. Are these people still in business? Should I contact them? What's happening? So keeping your website and funnel up to date, I don't mean with the latest design trends. I mean, professional looking with clean design, good user experience, no confusing navigation. This is extremely important if you want to have good conversion rates. How should a brand be thinking about updating it? Is it hiring a big team? Is it just somebody always on staff continually going through and updating things? Hiring somebody off of Upwork? How do you think about that? It doesn't have to be tier 11, of course. Just trying to provide some solutions here. Yeah, so it really depends at what stage you're at currently. If you have a website that was built very long time ago and it's custom and you're not really able to make any changes to it and you need to hire expensive developers, I would just say build a new one. Just have it created on a more modern platform that you can actually have access to. There's a lot of even drag and drop builders nowadays that can be used by everyone without even having to be a designer. There are a ton of templates online. So it doesn't necessarily have to be expensive. If you want to do it yourself, you're even able to. Might not be as great as hiring Tier 11 to do it for you, but it's still a solution. But I would say have it on a platform that you know that you can at least easily make changes to. This is something that I've seen very often, even with some of the businesses that we work with. They have these custom-built websites, which are not out of date, they're up to date, but they're working with an agency or a developer that is very slow in making changes. So they start working with us. We're not allowed to make any changes to the website because only this guy in the world can make them. And he's doing them one at a time per month. So we're not really able to make any significant impact (laughs) because of this. So I would say, be in a situation where you can quickly make changes and modification, whether this is you, whether it's an agency. If you're doing a new website or a funnel, make sure that you have a way to access it quickly, even if it's not you personally, that there is someone who would be able to do it for you. What platforms would you suggest? Well, the most popular one is still WordPress because it has a lot of integrations, a lot of ways to work with. This is mostly for websites. I don't really like building funnels on WordPress. I like prefer the drag and drop builders that we're most frequently using, like ClickFunnels or Kajabi or even Convertry I've started recently using, which is a pretty good one. There's a ton of things on the market. 
talking about tools a little bit, Anthony has a question here about what we're using for landing page analytics, Hotjar, Crazy Egg. We're using crazy AI ones right now. How are you measuring success right now? Yeah, so currently the tool that we're using the most is called Mouseflow. It's like a combination of all of these platforms in one. It has user experience recordings, actual recordings of how the users are interacting. It has all these different types of heat mapping, attention maps, scroll maps, and anything that you could think of. It also has funnel paths, so I can actually track the funnel performance on the tool as well. I can create different funnels and see these experiences. I can filter it in so many ways to see where people entered, where people dropped and make optimizations based on this. For split testing specifically, I'm always trying to use the platforms that we're building the landing pages on. So for example, if the two has its own split testing feature, I would use that. Let's say with ClickFunnels, I would use the A-B testing feature of ClickFunnels. If I cannot do that, and if there isn't a tool that is available, I would use VWO for A-B testing. Optimize is gone, going away. Because, I mean, I know Google Optimize was always a big A-B test. Yeah. Well, I never liked it. (laughs) It's going away for a good reason. I remembered what I wanted to say specifically for conversion rate optimization is in regards to the topic of when is it a good time to implement it and why you need to start doing it as soon as you start running ads. It's because one thing I like to say is that CRO is a marathon, it's not a sprint. So even though I've seen amazing results, you make a change and you get a 300% increase in your sales from this. And you're like, wow, this is magic. It's amazing. Yes, but you're most likely did 15 other or 20 other tests before that to get to this level, or you got to this increase for in periods of months. So you shouldn't use it as a last resort because even though it can create quick short-term impact, it works best if you implement it over time and you see the results over time. It's very boring. We want the big dopamine hit of like, (laughs) oh, we crushed it and it increased our sales by 100%. (laughs) that you have with ads, for example, you start running ads and tomorrow you have 20 sales and you're like, oh, wow, this is amazing. You could have had 40 if you start running zero, but you don't care because you have the dopamine rush from the ads. I know it it is. You're so optimistic putting money in that you're going to get more money out, but it really is this idea of like 1% improvement each time. If you could do that, that quickly builds to twice the size of a business. Absolutely. What are some vanity metrics that people think they should be looking at, but are actually useless? Ooh, bounce rate. (laughs) So this is something that people actually think it's a super important metric to track, like how many people or what is the percentage of people that bounce from their website. To explain what bounce rate is, it's when someone lands on your website or your landing page and doesn't take any action, like they don't click on a button, they didn't visit different pages, they didn't make a purchase, they don't do anything, and they leave. And this is considered a bounce. However, when you're running traffic to landing pages that have a single goal of making a purchase, filling out a form, or something like this, bounce rate doesn't take into consideration the time that you spent on the page. If you're just scrolling and you never click anywhere, and you spent one, two minutes reading the page, this is a person who's really engaged with your content. They were just not ready to make this 
step that you're asking them to do right now. So if you retarget them later with a different content or with the same type of content, they're very likely to convert. And I've seen bounce rates as high as 90% and people are like, oh my God, my bounce rate is so high. I'm wasting money on ads. No, you're not. You're running traffic to a landing page. So these are just people that didn't take an action. Yeah, maybe 90% is a bit high for even for a landing page. But you get my point. It's not something that you need to focus too much attention to. Yeah, because like you said, they're not a customer at that point and they may be engaging. And I think that's is one of the things we like to imagine we can control is this whole customer journey. You can't control what a human's going to do. The thing you can control is making sure that you have stuff for them at each step of their customer journey. So maybe the landing page didn't do the job, but if you've got branded search running, then they'll maybe look for you later and they'll go to a different page that is the one that does it. So it is really important to think of this whole customer journey. And that's a really big part of what you do over a conversion architecture, right? Yeah, it is. And there's also this difference. Of course, it depends. Well, I cannot say that bounce rate is something that you should completely ignore, although I like to <laughs> completely ignore it usually. But this is for when you're having a funnel or a landing page. If you have a website and you want people to scroll through it and browse different pages, I don't know why you would want to do that. Maybe you have like a blog and you want to increase the time people spend on your website. Maybe these are the situations where you want to consider how high your bounce rate is. But if you're running traffic to a single page with a single call to action, this is not something that you need to pay that much attention to. And it is something that I've seen my colleagues from the media buying team that they are paying attention to and are even signaling to me as a big issue that we have high conversion or high bounce rates on the funnel or the landing page that we're running traffic to. And I'm like, yeah, they're high, but that's okay. It's not an issue, not a real issue. I mean, that's probably part of your argument. Well, how do you convince them that what the real metric is? Well, the real metrics in terms of like, what are the most important metrics are usually different. Well, not so different, but different for most businesses. Your question is, how do I convince them that this is not important? It's difficult. I usually don't try to go into these type of battles. If I have to be honest, not reporting on it. I'm not including it as part of my reports because it might give a negative connotation to the client. Okay, my bounce rate is so high. And now I need to explain why is it so high and why are we not really that concerned about it. So I just try to avoid these battles, <laughs> if I can say like that. But if I have to convince someone, I would explain the same thing that I explained to you. Because some people have a misconception of what bounce rate is. They think that these are people who land on your website and they jump right off. They land and they leave immediately, which also considers as bounce rate, but it's not always like this. So I would explain what this actually means and how it affects your business or how it doesn't. <laughs> or you can always just blame the media buyers. Say, you're sending the wrong people to the website. <laughs> exactly. They start thinking and looking into this. Of maybe my messaging is wrong or maybe my targeting is wrong. We're not getting the right people. We're wasting money on ads. People are just leaving and not connecting with us. So it gives you fear of that things are not going okay, when in reality, is that might not be the case. It's always constant iteration all the way th through these different specialties and always trying to improve that 1%. All right, so we have another question here. At Tier 11, do you use the client CMS funnel platform or do you onboard them to the one that we prefer? Well, that's a good question. We most often 
work with the client's platforms. We have a team that's experienced on pretty much every platform under the sun. So if the client is working with something that we can work with, which is a very big percentage of the things that are on the market at the moment, we're using whatever they're using. Because if we onboard them to tier 11 platforms, it will make it more difficult for them to, let's say, process payments or have their customer management platforms integrated or do these extra work, it's just unnecessary in most situations. Yeah. What are like the most common platforms that we see with our customers? Or is there not? Is it kind of spread? There's so many on the market right now. So it's not really something that's super frequent. If you're only running funnels, it's still Kajabi and ClickFunnels. Instapage is also one that's frequently popping up. Convertry is not that frequent, but it's still a good one. What else? Lead pages as well. I absolutely do not like lead pages still, but we still work with it. There's a ton of plugins for WordPress. There's a ton of plugins for Shopify, anything under the sun. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you kind of hit on an important point there of like, we don't want to affect their big part of their business, which is taking how they process that payment. Exactly. And it's usually something that doesn't matter as much. I have my preferences with some platforms, but this is because I'm working with them every day. And I've seen this in the past, people asking me, okay, should I switch to this other platform that you think it's better? Because at the moment I have my business on this, but if this one is better, I need to be on the best one. Like there is no best one, the ultimate best one to use. All of them are having pretty good functionalities and you can have just as good results with almost every one of them. All right, so we're getting close to an hour here. Is there any other either vanity metrics or things you want to hit on with conversion architecture and how it affects ad spend? I guess I just want to iterate on this and enhance my point that conversion rate optimization is something that you need to take into consideration from the start and not just think about it when things are starting to go downhill or you're on a plateau and you're wondering what to do next. Do it before you need it. This is the ultimate commandment. <laughs> Maybe you can say it like that. Start before you need it so you wouldn't need it later. All right. And one final thing here. Lead pages drama. What do you not <laughs> like about lead pages? Get on your soapbox here, Maria. Oh no, I don't wanna I don't wanna give like bad. It's just a personal experience mostly. They're just pretty limited in terms of how much you can do with the builder. So it is an affordable option, actually, compared to most of the other tools on the market. So it makes sense. Why is it more limited? Because it is more affordable and it's also more beginner friendly. But for me, it's not as easy to work with it as it is with the other tools that are a little bit more complex and advanced. But if you are a beginner or even if you're just starting your business, this is still a good tool to use. I have still pretty good landing pages and funnels built on lead pages. This is not something that I would say, no, I'm not going to work with. You're just a little bit more limited in terms of the designs and the things that you can build. So what I'm hearing is lead pages isn't as advanced as you are. I don't want to formulate it like this. <laughs> don't get me into even more lead pages drama, please. <laughs> and Anthony said, so they didn't reply to you? I don't know. I haven't used it in at least a year, though. So they might have made some improvements and I might be completely wrong for saying this right now. So don't take my word on this. 
as this is not a commandment. This is not on the list. It's because they didn't reply to your review on them or answer your questions. <laughs> no, 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 they didn't. Yeah, that was Anthony's joke. All right. Well, Maria, thank you very much for joining today. I always enjoy chatting with you about these things. Me too, Tom. Thanks for having me. Oh, my pleasure. And if you're interested in learning more about how we help improve PPC ad spend through conversion architecture, we have so many CAs around here, through conversion architecture, head over to tier11.com. There you can find a big pink button where we'll be happily talk to you about how we can help improve your spend through conversion architecture. And we also have some blog posts about how we are helping customers generally. Well, Maria, thank you very much. And until next time, see you later. Thank you, Tom. Talk to you soon. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Customer Acquisition Show. Take the next step toward growing your customer base. Visit tier11.com and request your customized growth plan. And remember to hit the follow button so you can be notified of future episodes.